So we have a project. We have a project, we call it OM Champion Project. Welcome and thanks for joining us on the Marseille View. My name is Luca and I'm back after a break um, of a couple of weeks where I was replaced by the superb Scottish voice that is Stefan Robert. And uh, today I'm joined by three speakers. Um, I'd like to first introduce um, the founder of the podcast himself, Stefan. How are you doing, Steph? Hi, I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, so that's Stefan. The second person I'd like to introduce is the president of the OM Nation London and the golden boy of the show. And that is Ben. How are you doing, Ben? Fine, thank you. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, thanks for the nice intro. Two kinds. Uh, cool. And the third person is making his second appearance on second appearance on the podcast, and that is our inside source scouting the Canadian prospects. And that's Hadi. How are you doing, Hadi? I'm fine. You, Luca? Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. Um, before I go into into the start of the podcast, Hadi, I'd like to introduce you. Put put your feet to the fire a little bit. So obviously you've had one appearance to the podcast, but I just want to make sure to assert and ask you a question that would probably make or break your credibility in European football, Ooh. what you call it, soccer. Um, <laughs> so you all know all the incredible talents that have come from Canadian football, pretty much nobody. But there's one player called Alfonso Davis. Now, has this guy been on your radar before he made it big in Bayern? Of course, Jonathan of course. David, mate. <laughs> and you have Jonathan David, and you had you had quite a few players that that were pretty good, even in even in England. Don't forget uh, Thomas Radzinski, uh, that was really good as a forward uh, in the in the Premier League. So yeah, no, there's been quite a few uh, Canadian players that that, that 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 had you know great great careers too. But yeah, For, also David is another level. Sorry to interrupt you there, Hadi, but a former Marseille player as well. I don't know if anyone remembers, De Guzman. Yeah, for sure. Julian De Guzman that uh, played after in Spain and finished in Toronto. I, I don't like Toronto, so let's forget no, about it. No, which one? Is the young, the, not the, 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 the younger one, the older one. Was a play for Marseille. Was I think his name was was it Julian? Was it something else? He uh, played for Deportivo La Coruña. Exactly. He was a Marseille youth player. But yeah, it's uh, Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan de Guzman, I think. Uh, I'll Plus tell one you. Of them. Yeah, it's Jonathan de Guzman, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that was in Marseille. No, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's the other one. Jonathan de Guzman didn't go to Marseille. It's uh, Julian de Guzman, if I'm not mistaken. So I'll They were both good, though. Yeah, they're both good. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. Jesus, I think, the, the, I think the only person whose credibility has been lost is yours, because... <laughs> no, I don't count any of those players like like world talents, right? This is, for me, Alfonso <laughs> Davis is, is the only half-decent player that's come out of your of that country. <laughs> anyway. Oh, Jonathan God. David is excellent, Luca. Honestly, check him out. Jonathan David is going to be like a world-class player. He looks fucking excellent. All right, let's, let's, let's steer away from your football manager um, save. And uh, let's head back to Marseille. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so 
as you probably all know, um, during lockdown, football's been cancelled, especially the, the French league is probably one of the only European leagues that has been um, formally cancelled, apart from obviously um, the, the Nether in Netherlands and, and Scotland. Um, so here, was, here I was thinking, you know, we'd have a, a nice little break of a football for, you know, nothing's going to happen for these two months, you know, like no games, no transfer rumours, no scandals or anything. And then it's, it's nice to remember that you know, it's Marseille after all, and we always manage to find ourselves on the front page of, of sports covers. And and funnily enough, that's just what's happened. You know, in the last past in the past two weeks alone, we've had enough to fill the next three episodes of our podcast. So I mean, at least they're getting us to be working, getting the journalists to be working as well. Um, have you guys been surprised by the amount of news that's been coming up lately? Well, just I think like what I would imagine everybody's overarching sentiment is: what the fuck is going on? <laughs> uh, I think I think my main takeaway from all of this all of this news, and I'm just going to stop after this sentence is Olympic de Marseille, one step forward, two steps back. Yeah, I, th- I think it's never been more clear as as this, this past off season. You know, we all thought it was going to be a quiet off season, second of the league, Champions League next year, and it just seems to all have, all have fallen to shit, hasn't it, Steph? Total chaos. Uh, it's just absolute chaos, but. Do we should we really have expected anything else? Because we've this club has has just been chaotic as long as I can remember. Um, but yeah, I think I wasn't expecting so much news over the last sort of month. I think we maybe knew that throughout the season that there was possibly some tough times ahead. But the fact that there's been so much going on in such a small space of time, so much uncertainty. Yeah, it's been pretty horrific, but it feels like we're kind of getting towards a sort of period of some sort of stability. I feel like you know, with um, some good news has come, and we'll, we'll, it looks like we're kind of moving on, and we're going to hear some announcements and things about who's coming into the club and stuff. And hopefully, that should settle some things down. Yeah. What about you, Hadi? Did, did Marseille come? Did the Marseille news go go to to Canada or not? Uh, yeah, for sure. We have been following the news like uh, you know very closely as as usual since uh, since uh, I'm a big big fan of of, of Marseille. Um, but you know what? I always you know watch the news and read everything, and I always you know chuckle afterwards because you know the the, the journalists whenever they don't have work and they don't have anything to do, they're just gonna start things up and they're gonna stir the pot a bit more, and they're just gonna create stories and it's always good to create stories on Olympique de Marseille because the fans are so passionate that every time uh, there's an article or something that's a bit chaotic coming out of Marseille then it's just the end of the world and you know so for me I every time there's a, a down period in um, in the world of, of, of football and a Marseille news you know come out I'm like, oh, okay, here we go again, you know? So so for me, no, I wasn't surprised. I was sure that something was going to come out on Marseille because that's what the people want to read about. Well, so you think probably a lot of those stories are just like fake news or do you think it's just because Marseille is just inherently chaotic? Um, it's, you know, 95% of them, if I, if I have to choose a percentage, are complete garbage, in my opinion. And... The rest are just, 
you know, glimpse of, of, of rumors that you, that you hear somewhere or, you know, a, a part of a conversation that you hear somewhere and you just write an article on it and you just make your own uh, suggestions and then it comes out very big. And that's that's my opinion on the whole issue, on the whole on the whole two months that we've been living right now. Yeah, that's true. No, that's, that's, that's an interesting take. Um, all right, so let's get settled in. Um, and then because today's episode is going to be all about um, some of the unbelievable rumors that we heard from the the potential takeover and, and the sale of the club from a court to, to an un, unlikely potential buyer. Uh, and also be talking about Jacques-Henri Aero's complete meltdown in the news, um, whether it's from um, the fans' perspective or from uh, his peers or even the league's perspective. Um, but before we do this, I'd like to introduce a segment that, that we've just recently introduced. Basically, we... Uh, reached out to Twitter and we asked some of the fans, of the Marseille fans, um, some of their hot takes or their unpopular opinions that they've been building up over the past two months um, and asked them to kind of provide them to us so we can discuss them. And, you know, maybe they're not that crazy. Maybe some of us actually share those opinions and, and it'd be nice to just feel validated as well for a bit. Um, so um, I'll probably sprinkle a couple uh, throughout the podcast. Um, but I'd like to start with this first one because... Because I'm personally involved, I, I mean, I'm personally interested in discussing this topic. And I'd like to start about your hot take, Stefan, first. Um, and you simply said on Twitter, if Mitroglou came back, he could be the solution as a backup striker. Now, Kostas has had a European tour for the past year, being shipped out to Galatasaray and PSV. And he hasn't exactly had a successful adventure. Um, but the question we ask here, essentially, is can... Vilas Boas resurrect Mitroglou after doing those two miracles for two OM players being Amavi and, and Mandanda. So I'll, I'll give you the floor, Stefan. What, what, what do you think about that? Um, I don't feel that's the, the case at all. I don't know why I sent that one in thinking that's the kind of thing that other people might be thinking of, but I do not agree with that at all. I think Mitroglou has not got a place at OM. Um, yeah, so I would rather I would rather keep Germain than have Mitrol Glue back personally. Um, I don't think he's got anything to offer at that this stage of his career. I I, I think that I, I can see that maybe his profile physically and stylistically might seem interesting, but I I don't rate the guy. I don't think he's good enough for us. I think he's too slow. Um, maybe lazy, maybe a bit harsh, but I don't think he's he's, he's He's not very mobile, and I think we've tried him and he didn't work. Ship him out. He's, we're not going to get any money back from him. I think Benfica have got some sort of clause as well that means that they get quite a large chunk of whatever the sell-on fee is. Just let him go. He gets paid quite a lot of money. It's not worth keeping him around. So no, I don't. I don't feel that way at all. I'd much rather see Mario Balotelli back personally, which is a controversial opinion. Because I know a lot of people oh, have the same. Seriously. Yeah, but Come I'm on. just saying that um, I would rather I'd, I'd rather have him than Mitroglou. He everyone thinks like Balotelli was, you know, was a nightmare, but the, at least he was scoring goals and he was fucking good, right? Um so was Mitroglou Mitroglou sucks. Mitroglou can be sucks. The, but the so, the come on, made. man. Oh, You'd be better off with Steven so Fletcher. Dead. Mitroglou has got no place in Marseille. <laughs> he doesn't oh, have the quality. He's not good enough. All right, so after, after Stefan managed to shut down his Jesus. own take, <laughs> does anyone want to <laughs> want, want to back up Mitroglou a little bit here? Or do I have to? <laughs> I, I, uh, 
I, I think I answered. I actually answered you on Twitter today, thinking I think someone actually liked my response, which comforts me more than than it should comfort you, really. <laughs> but, Jesus, I mean, we've we've had two years of Jamal. We've had even three years of Jamal. He can't put one foot in front of the other. We all moan about him week in week out. I, I say if so. Here's the context. First of all. I think it's very unlikely we will keep him because we want to ship out all of our big salaries and he's likely to go. Um, I think Erol just wants to get rid of the big earners. So I think he's very likely to go anyway. But from a purely footballing point of view, our, our, my opinion is in the event that we don't have any money to spend, that we can't sign a new striker to play alongside Benedetto or to replace him or whatever, I would rather give Mitroglou a go with AVB then go for another year of having just Jamar as, as the other striker. And that's because Mitroglou's got pedigree in the Champions League. Look, believe it or not, he's got a very good goal-scoring record with ratio of games played. And I think he can, do, he, can, he can provide a different option up front. So if we can't sign anyone else, I'd rather give him a go than go again with Jamar. But I think it's very unrealistic that he'll stay. All right, we've, um, got, we've got one and one, Hadi. Come on. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ben. I like you, but not that much. <laughs> For me, Mitroglou is <laughs> Mitroglou is a, is a waste of of energy and is a waste of time. And is I, I don't want to see him on a with a Marseille shirt again. Um, I think the only the only reason why Mitroglou has scored so many goals in the past is because he's been in teams and with teams that are very dominant in their in their uh, in their in their. Uh, um, in their uh, own uh, country, and it, it, it's not the case in Marseille. Marseille is not dominant right now in in, in France, so I don't think he's gonna be he's gonna be a good fit for for Marseille. And to be honest, if we can't find another striker, I would rather go with Marleake again as as a backup to Benedetto than to go with Mitroglou or Germain. So for me, you know what? Put a young guy up, the, up there, and you know what? I don't care if the young guy gets a bit more playing time than he usually does. But getting someone that's 32 years old, almost 33, um, that hasn't been successful with Marseille, hasn't been successful with Galatasaray, hasn't been successful with PSV Eindhoven, uh, and is paid quite a lot of money. Uh, no, not for me. Not for me. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. Well, that that was interesting. I, Absolutely. I like, I, I like that. You know. So we'll we'll probably sprinkle a couple of these of these discussions throughout the podcast. But the only thing I'll remember from from Hadi's take is that Marseille isn't dominant in the French league, and isn't that an indictment on on Villas Boas? Huh? Huh, Ben? <laughs> Don't start. Guys, we're <laughs> second in the league. We're 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 virtually champions. Of, of the real French league because PSG are out of the out of competition so we are dominant well we have been this season but that's only after 29 matches or 28 matches yeah alright all right. so let's move on to our, our first our first talking point so the first big news that happened and, and it's kind of a, a cluster of news um, is all about Jacari Aero he, he's found himself in, in the limelight of, of pretty much every single French sports uh, covering media um, for, for, for a range of reasons. So I think it'll be interesting to get a bit of a sense of, of what's happened uh, since we last spoke on the podcast. Um, I think, Stefan, you, you might want to catch us up with that. I think it was Ben that was going to do that. Oh, it's Ben doing that. Oh, I keep being confused. All right, Ben, catch us up with what Errol's but been I, up to. 
We, we could blend both together, guys. I mean, the context is, as, as we've all said, everything was seemed to be going okay. <clears throat> we the, the club put out the, the announcement after the league end of the season, officially, you know, celebrating the fact we're back in Champions League. AVB put out this this Twitter message thanking all the players and the fans, or was it on Instagram, I think, and everything looked like it was going well. Everybody was happy. We were all happy. Lyon were pissed off. Olas is losing his shit. We, we looked like, finally, the wheel had turned and we were the ones that were getting the good fortune and the luck. And then, as per usual, um, not just Marseille, but Irul goes and puts his foot in the dog shit. And... Um, <laughs> It all starts off with sort of this rumour comes out of nowhere that I think it started off as a rumour that there were there were sort of um, he'd met with AVB or he was due to meet with AVB. Nobody had an exact date, but then it actually happened. So he had a two day meeting with AVB um, to discuss the plans for the next season. It turns out after that that Zubi was involved in those meetings as well. So Andoni Zubizarreta and. That was on the Monday and Tuesday, and then on the, I think it was the Wednesday evening, suddenly the bombshell drops, Zubizarreta is leaving. <clears throat> so a press release comes out saying that it's mutual, by mutual accord, etc. Uh, thank you, Zubi, for your time at the club, etc. He played it very, very gentlemanly as well and put his own statement out, thanking, thanking the fans and everybody for their support. And then hand in hand, obviously, with that... All of the media were, were, were backtracking and looking back over what was said by AVB himself back in January, which was, if Zuby walks, yeah. I will probably walk as well because my future is linked to his and he brought me here and that he's the one I trust. So straight away, it, it, it just it just seems like someone dropped a match on some petrol and it just ignited the whole club. And the big part of that is has been... It's been sort of lent to, to Jacques-Henri because he seems to be the one that's holding the box of matches and he keeps drip, dropping matches that set fire to a, a pile of dog shit that then ends up splashing all over the club. And I think he, he did a car crash interview on RMC on, on that Friday night, which, quite frankly, was, was just shocking. Um, he, he was talking over... Well, to be fair, the interviewers were Jérôme Rotten and... Um, one of the RMC journalists. So I thought they did a good job of trying to keep him honest and, and asking the questions directly and not, not dancing around. He was just deflecting. He was deflecting the whole time. He put the fault back on ABB saying, oh, we want him to stay. It's his choice if he decides to walk. I hope he doesn't. And then he, he dropped the bombshell, which was dropping the word phase two of the, the OM Champions Project is, is now trading. What the fuck does that even mean? And, and since then, it's just been a, a comedy. It's been a comedy. I mean, again, you said, Hadi, I think a lot of it is bullshit. A lot of things that he's being accused of or rumours that have come out about him are, are not true. Um, but there's been some of the stories that have been confirmed and whether this is by other presidents of Liga or actually reliable journalists that have the actual information is that he's been involved in bust up so video conferences with other league on presidents um he's he, he sort of thinks that he can put a smoke screen over everybody and and pull the wool over our eyes by doing this fancy linkedin article about um you know head of football and dropping all these technical english words in there and, and talking about how he's 
he's evolved and he's seen European football evolving and he wants Marseille to be at the forefront of that and blah, blah, blah. And it, it's just... It's not surprising from the character, but it, you just you just look at it and go, how far can this guy sink? Because nobody actually, none of the fans rated him. He, he's probably one of the most hated ever Marseille employees, whether it's been a president or a coach. And and his legacy will be a legacy of failure and of of cockups, and that's that's the context. Um, <laughs> I hand the floor over and ask you guys what what have you made of it all? Who wants who wants to go first? Because there's, there's quite a lot there's quite a lot of, of things to unpack here. Um, shall we shall we first talk about Aero and then uh, we can kind of fall back onto Zubizarreta's departure and what what that could mean for the club? Um, Hadi, what, for from where you're 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 watching all this from uh, the the other side of the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> How how kind of how destructive of an environment does this look to an outsider, to potential players, to potential agents um, when they see Marseille in this situation? Yeah, for sure, it's not it's not beautiful, right? It's not appealing, and it's not going to convince any players to come and join uh, the club after everything that's been written and everything that's been talked about and everything that's uh, that that we've seen. Uh, But, you know, in the world of football, uh, players are aware that there's a lot of, um, like I say, like, how, how can I say it? There's a lot of uh, bad energy uh, in front of, uh, you know, around, around big clubs that haven't been successful in the past few years. So some players will see this as a challenge saying, you know what, it's still one of the great, uh, the, the biggest clubs in, in France, um, if not the biggest. And you know what, I'm ready to take the challenge. So yes, it's going to be tough for players that are not really strong mentally to join the club because yeah, you're not going to see a lot of players come and knock on the door uh, at Marseille to, 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 to sign with them. But uh, players that are strong mentally and that they, they, they know the, the, the history of, uh, of Marseille will not be really, I think, we're not, we're not going to, are not going to be really uh, reluctant of joining the club. So, you know what, it's, it's, it makes the, uh, the, the choices, uh, you know, slimmer choices for Marseille uh, on, um, you know, the, the group of players that they can attract. But I don't think it's the end of the world either. I'm, I don't know, maybe I've been, I've been you know, uh, I look at Marseille and I'm, I don't see, I, I see that it's bad and we're in a very delicate situation. But I've seen worse. I've seen worse with this club. I've seen the La Brune era. The La Brune era. I, I've seen Marseille uh, being, you know, very close of being relegated. And that was, uh, I think that was in 2000, I think. And they were only able to be, to stay in the Ligue 1 just because of, of goal difference. You know, I've seen, I've seen so many bad seasons from the club and bad presidents. Do you guys remember Christophe Boucher? <laughs> you know, when you remember Christophe Boucher, you look at Hero and you're like, ah, thank God I have Hero. So, no. you know, that's how I look at it. I think, I think the, last, the last thing to add to the chat monologue is, is to, to, to finalize the context. The context is, if it's to be believed, 
hundred and no, it's ninety million minimum deficit. The biggest debt Marseille has ever had, and, and currently apparently the biggest deficit in French football. Right, yeah. Stefan, I'd like to get your I'd like to get your your thoughts on 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 Eros about the whole situation. What what do you make of his of his like like Ben said his absolute sinking of a of a performance in the past couple of months? Um, well, I feel like he's been sinking for quite a long time, um, maybe over the last year, eighteen months or so. Um, the fans have kind of really been quite di- um, disappointed with him. And I've kind of seen through the bullshit, you know. They they maybe feel that the what the idea, the the the, he, the beautiful idea that he presented to them as part of OM Champions Project quickly became a bit of a joke, didn't it? And we've kind of seen that he's really sort of pissed money against the wall. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He's quite out of his depth with football. He's he's not a football man. He doesn't understand the game that well. You know, if you just, we think about the last year on the podcast when we were talking about when he made those remarks around Netflix and stuff, and um, and yeah, just how out of touch he is, I guess, with um, the the footballing world, the footballing community. So no, I'm not really surprised um, that he's so unpopular right now. Um, we've known for a long time. Also, the you know the financial difficulties that the club might be facing. Maybe we didn't know the details of how bad they are until recently. Um, but I'm not going to say he's as catastrophic as everyone's saying he is. There's lots of things about him that have been quite positive. And I think that people who think that Ejo is worse than LeBrun, I'm sorry, no, no way. LeBrun was a complete Thank nightmare. You, Thank you. Like, you, this is just people, um, hindsight is a funny thing, right? But. Um, I'm sure I'm confident LeBrun wasn't as bad was wasn't any sorry was much worse than um, Evo and I think that people are angry at Evo right now but you've got you've got to be realistic here and sort of look at what's actually happening and what what good's been going on and what what hasn't been going so well and there are some positives to take from his reign and there are, in some ways that as much as you know. He, he has his moments that are really quite embarrassing, but there's also lots of times when his communication has been quite fantastic compared to previous presidents. So there is, you know, you've got to balance the good and the bad. It's not all terrible. Yeah, um, and actually, well, you, you, I'd like to to stay on to stay with you, Stefan, for a second, because because Hadi and you, you both mentioned that, you know, that there's worse than him, um, and and he's done quite some good stuff over the past four years. Um, but obviously, you guys accept that his his image has completely been tarnished uh, over the past two years. But when we bring it back to to when he first came, the the fact that he's not from football, the fact that he was more of a, seeing more of Marseille like a business, um, bringing in more of a healthy um, atmosphere towards the club that you know with, with Anigo and Labrune was very kind of um, there's a lot of nepotism and it, it it was just very unhealthy. People welcome that image. Now it's seen as a disadvantage. How do you how, how do you kind of interpret that that shift in popularity that he had? Because at the beginning, you know, he, he did press conferences where he was mentioning Twitter's names. Um, he was walking around the the, the the youth team with the youth center, sorry, with the, the Champions League in his hands. Like during the the, the Olas against Aero problem, um, the, like during our, our European run, all of Marseille was supporting Aero in in that fight. Everything that he was tweeting, um, he had complete support from the club. Less than two years 
after that, anything he does is seen as a, as a failure. How do you guys interpret that shift? Well, let's not forget that he's kind of gone to war with a lot of the supporters clubs and that is going, you know, you're, naturally that is going to really affect his relationship with the fans. So I think that there's there's a lot of hardcore Marseille fans that are pretty pissed off at Ejo for some of the, the, the decisions he's made to make it difficult for them to operate in the ways that they've been operating in the past. And I think he's taken a lot of risks, you know, in, in his approach to t- tackling some of the, the issues in the stadium and, and with the ultras and things like that. So I think that's something to think about. Maybe we're forgetting about that. Um, but I think that, um, you know, you made some really good points there, Luca. I think there's a lot of really good stuff going on there about, you know, what he's been doing, thinking about the fact that, you're right, the the club was kind of steeped in bullshit before and dodginess. You know, there was always this, as you said, nepotism. People were getting... Remember Thomas Deruda? Why the fuck was he in the squad? It was well known that his father was, like, someone dodgy that had good connections with the club. Um, Anigo was always kind of dealing with these sort of suspicious people and, and deals and stuff like that. Um, thinking about all the agents that Ejo has decided he wasn't going to work with anymore because, you know, knowing that they were corrupt, that they, that, that they were they were problematic to work with and it was best to have sort of a healthy club that works, you know, that does good business with good people. Um, so, yeah, I think he's brought a lot of good things. Um, but maybe the fans are just annoyed because they see some of the things where he's targeted, well, maybe not targeted them, but he's, he's come down quite harsh on some of the fans. And then also the fact that they see that, you know, this club that people are feel so connected with, maybe are feeling that they are becoming distanced from that club because, you know, this is a club with a very strong identity and a very strong connection with its local community and a local community that represents a lot of things that are um, not consistent with the values of some, well, of a football club really is a massive enterprise, but also someone like Ero who represents that kind of, you know, big business capitalist elite really, doesn't he? Um, so I think maybe him as a character as well is problematic for a lot of Marseille's fan base. Yeah. Would you guys like to jump on on, on anything of, of Stefan's mentions there? Yeah, I, I just wanted to say something. Uh, you, you know, you said it, uh, uh, Stefan, but... I think that the fact that he came in with that vision and he made all the supporters dream uh, is the big problem here. Uh, the the supporters were really waiting uh, for for results and they really wanted results. And after seeing the whole situation with Rudy Garcia, and I think that's the first big error of uh, Jacques-Henri Hérault when Garcia was, uh, was the coach and... At one time, um, at one point, uh, the, the the club wasn't doing so well, and Ero backed him up and 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 you know even gave him um, uh, a, a new contract. And that's when Jacques-Henri Ero, the whole uh, persona of Jacques-Henri Ero was really affected, and and he made some a lot of bad decisions. I'm not going to argue with that. It's true. He 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 made a lot of bad decisions. But not everything is as bad as we think. And, you know, OM Compass is, is a very good uh, thing that he did with the, with the academy. Um, and he made quite a few things that are important. Uh, there's something else also. He cannot, uh, he cannot uh, talk about OM and give interviews about OM 
like a normal company. And that's where his whole mistake is. When he talks about trading, we all know that right now in, in, in the world of football, you have to sell players in order to, uh, to, to, be, to be better and to have more money and to grow. And we all know that it's going to come through some sales. And that's pretty normal. But using the word trading is bad communication because trading for all the supporters of uh, of uh, around the, the the soccer world the football world um is a very bad word it's it's like being monaco and where you buy a player 40 million just to sell him maybe six months later for 80 million like they did or eight months later, like they did with uh, James Rodriguez. So, you know, that's not what we want to see in Marseille because that's not the culture that we have as supporters. So that's where the whole problem is right now with Jacques Riero. He made very big mistakes and now he's not, he, he hasn't learned the, 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 that, the, that we have to use different words when you're the president of Olympic Marseille. You have to find other words to say exactly the same thing, but in a different way. Yeah, and Ben, actually, I'd like you to bounce off of what Hadi said because you also you also cringed a little bit when you were doing the timelines and you talked about the phase two of the project that I was talking about. How hard how hard is it going to be for supporters to, to swallow the pill of of becoming potentially not a Monaco because that's the absurd, but becoming a Lille, becoming a, a you know some some clubs like that that. Are, are not the end-all be-all for players, even though we're all a bit deluded, we all think that Marseille is the end-all be-all um, club, but now we know that for a fact, that players are just coming for a year and just going to bounce off. Well, let's see what happens, first of all, because yes, he said that, but then there was a rumour, I think, yesterday, saying that apparently he's promised not to sell Sanson, Camara or Coletico, but who knows what's true and who knows what's bullshit, right? Well, time will tell, we'll know in the next few weeks. Um, especially seen as the DNCG is coming up. So we'll know soon enough if we need to, to, to make promises and make sacrifices. Um, but I think it's it's just it's a kick in the balls for himself because he's talking about phase two, but no, there, there was never any, any mention of phase two before. He seems to pull it out of the fucking nowhere because he... I think what's happened effectively is he came in, him and McCourt came in saying, we want to challenge for the league and we want to win the Champions League again and we're going to spend big money and blah, 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 blah. And, and all of that is through various mistakes. And look, there was some bad luck as well when we, we missed out on Champions League qualification the year when we went to Europe League final. Um, and there's been some dodgy games with some dodgy refereeing and all of that. We can always look back at that with regret. But it just seems to have completely unraveled. And now what, what, he's, what he's broadcasting now and what, they, what they're communicating now about the strategy is the total contrary of what, what they set out to do when they, when they came into the club initially. And the fact that he need, no one internally will look at that and, and say, Jesus, you know, we've got to admit we've made a mistake and we've got to, we've got to somehow find a way of digging ourselves out of this hole. Well, there's just no acceptance of that. There's just there just seems to be a culture of we're right and everyone else is wrong and I'm just going to plow ahead, plow ahead whether it's him, uh, McCourt, and I feel a bit sorry for McCourt because the poor guy's had 200 million of his money pissed up the wall by Yohan Garcia. So you just I, I'm very curious to see who he brings in to replace Zubi. And apparently there's a, there's a number of other departures, whether it's at the Youth Academy or 
um, at, the, at the sort of management level with um, uh, uh, sort of um, Laurent Collet possibly moving into the McCourt group, so into the into the um, the business side of, of McCourt's investment properties. It's just going to be about who he surrounds himself with next, because if he brings in who he's rumoured to bring in, which is which is Olivier Picot, who's someone who was at Angers, bought players from Ligue 2 and National, and then managed for very cheap and then managed to sell them on for 10 times what they bought them for. If that's going to be our plan, I don't mind doing that with a couple of players because we've we've had some success with Valbuena in the past and a, and a couple of other players that we bought from lower leagues who've actually been good. But you can't, a club, a big club like Marseille can't base its strategy around that because buying players from Ligue 2 and having half a squad with effectively um, gambles that you, you hope might turn out and might, might make you some money and be, be performing on the pitch is no guarantee of success. And we may, we may find ourselves in mid-table, which doesn't help our finances. So I'm, I'm just worried about this phase two and the word trading being associated to it you know, we, we should have been in this mentality from day one, which is we we have good players and we, we make good signings. And then when they've performed a couple of years for us, then yes, we can sell them for some money, which will probably happen with Chaletta Carr, if not this season, next season, and then Sanson. But the, the reality is there just haven't been enough of those, of those investments because the majority of our money, whether it's salaries or transfer fees, has gone on players like Gustavo, Strootman, Mitchell Blue, uh, play, you know, even Benedetto, players over over 28 years old with no potential resale value, and and you know, the, the, let's face it, apart from Benedetto, who was all right last season, first season in Europe, Bootman, Mitroglou, their best years are behind them. So it's just worrying that they've only just realised this now, and I'm just very worried about how this is all going to play out. I just wanted to add something about uh, Piqueux that's uh, being linked to the club. Uh, I, yeah, I liked what he did on paper. Uh, there's one thing, though, is that he's been sacked for serious and repeated faults. So <laughs> do we want someone with those allegations hanging over their head to be a sporting director in Marseille, knowing the whole Marseille situation? Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't I'm, I'm... really be happy about that. Yeah, and those faults, Hadi, are basically apparently him taking big commissions on transfer yeah. fees. And that, again, completely goes against Theo's whole communication of, oh, we're not going to deal with certain agents and certain dodgy characters because we don't want to pay big commissions to agents. We want to work in an honest system and transparency. And now, now if he went for someone like that, it's it just completely, again, he's going against his own ideals in theory. But he, I, I think he's past caring. I think he's desperate, to be honest. I think he's really desperate to get somebody in. Um, but yeah, I mean, Piku sounds like very OM compatible in a pre-Bakur Evo Marseille, but maybe not now. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, and be, before we move on to, to talking about Zubizarreta and, and reflect on, on some of his, of his reputation that is a lot of people have mixed feelings about, um, and let's talk about just discuss one another hot take from from another um, Twitter user. So it's uh, it's John who was um, essentially talking about the, the apparently inevitable offload of one of our bankable player, like you were mentioning, Ben. Um, and and he's saying that my hot take is that we would might have to be selling one of our one of our two biggest values at the back, being Kamara and Chaitatsar. 
I vote for selling Kamara. If you guys seem to be kind of predicting that we might be in a situation where we have to be selling some of our players and we're going to be selling either one or the other, who would you offload first? Um, the one oh, that gets I, the I, biggest I, offer. <laughs> that's my that's my my, my what, answer. What if it's both if it's both fifty million? Which one do you sell? Ah, uh, If it's the same, if it's the same amount, uh, I would sell Chalitatsa. Why? Because I think that Chalitatsa is gonna go anyway. Camara, uh, since he's you know a Marseille boy, he might be tempted to stay if he has the same challenge year in year out. But Chalitatsa is gonna go elsewhere at one point because it's he looked like from what i've seen he's someone that's really aiming to go into other um, european countries at one point of his career camara we don't really know exactly what's what's going to happen and i'm i'm pretty sure he won't say no to stay in marseille again for a year or two and play the champions league with marseille all right we've got one vote for camara one vote for chatsa who do you go for steph um, same, sell Chaleta Sar, no-brainer. Um, get good money for him. He's replaceable, yes, he's been really good. Um, and he's getting better, but he's replaceable. He's a defender. Defenders are much easier to replace. There's good guys on the market. You know, we're thinking about De Sassi at, at Rance. Um, you've got Malang Sars going for a free transfer. You can find a good young centre-back. Um, I'd sell him first, and then I would ship out Radonjic, Strutman as well. And I think Germanian, you're pretty much close to raising the, the 60 million, or you've already raised it. I think you've got to keep Kamara. You build the team around someone like Kamara. He's a local talent. He's got leadership qualities. He loves the club. Yeah, you keep him at all costs and you sell guys like Chiletta Sar. Absolutely. Now, who are you going for, Ben? Uh, I agree. Um, and it's for all the reasons Steph just said. And I, I think contextually, We've we've not been very successful with finding good defensive midfielders over the last uh, five years. I think Gustavo and now Kamara, who's effectively a centre back that's moved into the defensive midfield position, are, are only two decent players we've had in that position. We struggled for the, probably for the last ten years, even in that position. We've had we've had players like bloody Romao. You know, and and that that variety of players that yeah they're not they're not terrible, but they're they're nowhere near the potential that uh, Kamara could be, or or the the, the trophy hold that Gustavo's amassed in his career. So yeah, Chertasar get some good money for him, as Steph said, very very easily replaceable if we're smart in the market for a lot cheaper than we would get for him. So hopefully that's what happens. Yeah. Um... I'd probably agree. I think b both departures would absolutely break my heart because I think they're very unique in, a way, in, in what they provide to the, to the team. And I think they're completely essential to, to what Villas Boas is trying to implement in the club. But just the fact that Kamara is from the club, I think it would break my heart more if I saw him succeed in another club than Chaitatar. I think I'd be more happy for Chaitatar and, and more like kind of regretful if, if Kamara did well outside of Marseille. Absolutely. I never ever got over Nasri and Flamini leaving, so I don't want to see that happening again. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's actually, that did, that even come to my mind first, but I think I probably get that kind, of, that same kind of reaction. Um, yeah, so that was that was a nice little break. Um, let's go back to to Zubizarreta. So obviously, um, like we've been saying, we were all 
completely stunned by what, what happened with Zabeta basically being announced to be leaving. Um, how do you, I'll probably go to you, Hadi, first, because you haven't spoken in a bit. Um, how do you reflect on, on Zubizarreta's time in, in Marseille? You know, over three years, um, he's had a lot of criticism for, for not being present enough in the professional first-team um, negotiations and transfers, but he's also a lot of, of praises from the inside uh, journalists and from the inside youth teams about the work he does in, the, in, in behind the scenes. How, how, what do you think about Zubizarreta's time? Listen, I was very sad to see Zubizarreta go, first of all, because I'm, I've known Zubizarreta from his playing days and I used to love him as a goalkeeper. That's that's one of, of the main reasons. And the other reason, not for sure, to be a, to be a, to be serious, um, I really loved what he did with uh, the the players that he brought in. Yes, there are some 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 bad uh, some bad players that were that were that were uh, that were signed by Marseille, but a lot of uh, of good players were here, and and that's what I what I remember when I when I see uh, Zubizarreta. Now the problem that he had, and from what I've read uh, everywhere, is that he had a lot of trouble selling players. Um, and it's not it's not completely wrong. He, he had a bit of problem selling players, uh, except you know one or two or, or two uh, good sales with uh, Lucas Ocampos and Karim Rekic that he was a- able to to sell for. You know, Karim Rekic was sold for like five million, and for us he wasn't even worth a uh, hundred thousand, right? So um, yeah, no, I was very sad to see him go, but. You know, at one point when you see that you're going to need and the club is in need of selling players at very high values, I think that you need to have a sporting director that's able to to stand his ground and sell the players for the right price. And from what we've seen from Zubizarreta, not only with Marseille, but only with, with, with also with Barcelona, where he was also... Um, he was also, uh, you know, accused of the same thing of not being able to sell players. Uh, then you know what? It's it's maybe better to have to have a sporting director that comes in that knows how to sell players because that's what we need right right now. And about you know for the contacts uh, around the the, the the football world, you have Andre Villas Boas that can bring you the contacts that Zubizarreta was bringing before. So. I kind of see the point if I, you know, look at it from a very objective point of view. I see, I understand why it was done right now. Uh, now we also know that there are a lot of journalists, very good journalists, that said uh, that uh, McCourt wanted uh, Zubizarreta out, and we've seen it uh, quite a few times that it, it comes from McCourt. And when you when you hear the interview that Jacques-Henriero gave uh, with RMC. He seems very sincere by saying, you know what, I'm sorry, and I'm, I really love Zubizarreta. And, you know, he was sincere and kind of apologetic, saying that I had to, to see Zubizarreta go. But that's that's my opinion. I, I don't have any, any, you know, any, any, any sources or, you know, information that, you know, uh, privileged information either. So. Hmm. Um, can I go and actually I've got thoughts about that actually that I think quite interesting because I think that I think the writing was on the wall to be honest um when they brought Zubizarreta in yes he was a big name he was coming from Barcelona but 
he actually failed at Barcelona and he was highly criticised at Barcelona for bringing in a lot of shit, you know, and big, big money, you know, so a lot of players, although he signed like guys like Neymar, but anyone could have spotted Neymar was world class. Um, he brought in a lot of shite like Alex Song, Thomas Van Allen, guys that he paid a lot of money for, big wages and never really contributed and he's, he wasn't um, held in high regard by Barcelona fans, but Perhaps maybe when they brought him in, they wanted a big name, and he seemed like a big name. He'd come from two compatible clubs, you know, Bilbao, Barcelona. These are clubs that have got good, good youth academies. They've got a strong political, cultural identity in the city, and the club has a very strong connection with that local community. And you can see that that's potentially compatible with Marseille and what they wanted to build with Marseille as a club. You know, and that building up the youth infrastructure and maintaining that sort of connection with the local community and its identity. And if you think about the context as well, you know, that Marseille are in in France and as a club in Ligue 1, you know, you think about Marseille and PSG, you've got this kind of dichotomy of kind of values, predicament, identity, you know, with PSG representing, you know, the elite, the establishment, Marseille, a very working class you know, town with, you know, a, a strong working class fan base. So I think that there's a lot of things that you could look at that appointment at the time and think, actually, this is a guy that's coming from two backgrounds that are very compatible with Marseille, OK? Um, and maybe he did do a lot of good work, you know, in terms of bringing in the, the right kind of football and infrastructure at the club. We know that, you know, Ejo has been working, Zubi Zaretta have been working hard at trying to um, build relationships and... Um, sign agreements with local clubs to make sure that Marseille gets access to the best local talent and surely Zubizaretta must have played a big role in, in encouraging Evo to, take, to go down that path um, but the reality is is that we're not going to see the fruits of that until way in the future and we might, you know if it turns out that Zubizaretta has done a really good job there um, in influencing that move from the club he might actually get forgotten in history and we might never actually remember him as the guy that put that in place. So we're not really... I guess with that, that element, we're kind of sort of wait and see what happens. But going back to what you kind of touched upon this, Hadi, which I completely agree, is that he's failed for a number of reasons. As both you and Ben mentioned, we made a lot of big signings, you know, very expensive signings, um, expensive old players who had no sell-on value. It's kind of similar to what he did at Barcelona. Um, I know that the media have suggested many times that they maybe weren't his players, that maybe a lot of the players that he recommended, Garcia vetoed, Garcia wanted guys like Strutman and so on. Um, maybe Ejo's to blame as well because he signed off the checks and he paid these players this kind of money. But the reality is, is Zubi Zaretta was not assertive enough. He wasn't charismatic enough. He's supposed to be the sporting director. He should be the leader to implement his sporting project. And he should be able to persuade Garcia and whoever else that the guys that he wants to bring into club into the club are the right guys for the club, you know. Um, so I think that he's failed there. Um, his personality's failed him. And perhaps maybe the others at the club, whether it was Rudy Garcia or um, Jacques-Henri Ejo, maybe they don't respect him as much as he needed he needed to be able to do his job. I know that, you know, the media portrays him as lazy. You know, they've portrayed him as slow to act and maybe a little bit incompetent. You know, if you think about 
he has been slow in, in each transfer window. It did seem like he was kind of slow getting moving. When we seen those images, you know, of him in the, the airport sleeping, you know, that doesn't help. And the media and the fans are all over that. But, um, you know, like, where were we with the Ferland Mendes and the Yusuf Atals and the Nicola Pepe's? Supposedly he was interested. We were too late getting there or Garcia didn't want them. He's to blame for that as far as I'm concerned. But I do think that he's a victim as well. It's just my final point. I think that all this stuff about him being lazy and, you know, the fact that that picture of him in the airport comes up all the time, um, I think that he's maybe been a victim of a bit of kind of cultural prejudice, a bit of xenophobia. You know, if he wasn't Spanish, do you know, would, you know, would he be saying that about him? You know, would he be saying that he was slow and lazy and kind of too relaxed about things? Um, I don't know. I think if he was French or Northern European, we wouldn't be hearing that. So um, I think that he's been kind of unfairly treated as well. But I do think that he's failed for not having the right character. Yeah, well, for a French media, definitely has a, a history for um, kind of alienating and, and, and criticising just foreign managers, for, foreign managerial figures. I mean, remember the Bielsa, but I mean, Unai Emery, Thomas Tuchel the, for PSG, like the, they've been... Completely Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah, like Ancelotti so. got a lot of shit, and he's the man's one of the only managers to win the Champions League with three different clubs. I mean, Jesus. So we actually Ben. Um, I mean, with the Zubizarreta segment, we we overran a little bit, but um, we'll just I'll, give I'll, us some quick thoughts about him. Yeah, I'll be quick. I mean, guys, I, to be honest, you, you took the words out of my mouth. A lot of them. Um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna repeat it. Agree with. The fact that I think he's been he's been fighting probably with one hand tied behind his back because internally he's not had the support from Millwall going up against Garcia and maybe he, again he, he didn't act um, quickly enough and, and didn't have enough sort of um, how to say personality maybe to to, uh, to to take to get the upper hand in that dispute but it is what it is it's water under the bridge I think that when we look back. Um, over over this period, the legacy that he'll leave is the development of the academy that everybody has praised. Um, it seems like we've really taken a big step forward on 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 that front, which was was needed because we, we should be a club like Lyon that is that is hoovering up all the local talent and producing at least two players every year that could that could move into the first team squad. Um, so that's that's hopefully that bears fruition. Um, and I think Nasser Larguier will be the man that, that continues that work um, and hopefully whoever comes in next, but it doesn't sound likely if it's someone like Pico who's just going to be focused on outbound and trading. Um, so I think that's... If, if I had to take one situation that completely sums up his time at Marseille, it would be something that, that reflects a success and at the same time a massive favor, failure is the Liagi situation because... Liagi's probably a player that when Zubi came in, he's probably a player that he scouted or one of his crew scouted. They brought him into the academy. He he came through the ranks as the, as the teams in the academy started performing better year after year since Zubi's been here and it's been a lot more professional. He was touted as a future European, you know, sort of star youngster, one of these... Because we know how the European transfer system works now. If you get a player that at 17 is been scouted by every big club and suddenly there's rumours of him being you know being 
worth 30, 40 million and 100 grand a week. And that's the madness of the Premier League. That's the Premier League that's done that's football. And to, to see him have, have you know, the flair to bring that player and to, to nurture that player in the squad he was a part of, because there's a few other players who touch wood in that squad, will hopefully accept professional offers from the club and, and sign with Marseille. To see him then come up, you know, you can imagine Zubi seeing this kid and going, he's, you know, he's the star of the future um, and saying to, to AVB, take him on tour and all of that and, and give him some game time um, and, and make him feel part of the squad. And AVB did that. And then he, I, I could picture Zubi bigging him up to, to Iro on the court saying, oh, look at this success story. Look at this good job I've done. I've found this kid. You know, signing prone, he's going to be worth this much in a couple of years and all of that. And then suddenly to be confronted to that brick wall from Erol that says no. Whether he's right or wrong, by the way, Erol basically apparently has turned around and said, no, he's not worth what he's asking for in terms of salary. We can't be held hostage by these kids, etc. And it, it it just seems like a massive spit in the face to Zubi because Zubi's been looking after this kid and, and looking after this pet project probably for a few years. And who knows, you know, Touchwood... Liagi goes to Lille or wherever he ends up signing and, and, and is a big success story. And Zubi will probably always look back on that and will will think to himself, fucking hell, I told those guys. No one believed me. Um, you know, I, I'll be fuming if if Liagi goes to Lille, has a good year or two and gets sold for 50 million because that should be our money. And that will be, yes, again, that will just be a, a sort of vindication of Zubi's work at the club with the academy so that's that's my two cents on the whole affair yeah okay um i think and what i'd like to do is um i'm probably going to axe the um the, the potential sailing and, and some news um i might ask you stefan to kind of catch us up since about the some of the recent news that happened about about the sales since we last spoke on the podcast um and then uh we might kind of answer one of the, the hot takes from other twitter usernames and then uh, i'll ask i'll ask some questions to Hadi about his new article about Rod Fanny. So, um, first, um, Steph, would you like to kind of give us some of the catch us up to the news that's happened with the the, the potential takeover? Okay. Um, you say it's yes. complete bullshit. <laughs> um, no, I'm not gonna. Um, that's probably you guys that are gonna say that, but um, yeah. So I guess like the I you know these rumors of a sale. This I, I guess you could call it a movement. Um, this um, hashtag Vanto M has just you know, been circulating for a number of years, to be honest, and it predates McCourt coming to the club. And, and you know, it was trending largely before Margarita um, Louis Dreyfus had sold the club, but um, it's never really went away. And I guess it's kind of reappears every so often. And recently it's kind of ga- gathered quite a bit of traction again. So obviously, because McCourt, um, we've known for some time he. There's, well, there's been speculation that he could look to sell the club and he's had a lot of financial losses recently. Um, and Marseille, additionally, are also really struggling financially. So the timing seems about right um, that maybe he could look to cut his losses. And, and in fact, there's a, with history, there's a precedent there. Um, so he's, we know that, you know, the way he talks about, he's always said that he was in for the long haul with Marseille, but... We also know that he sold the LA Dodgers to Guggenheim Partners um, after he had some financial troubles when he um, had gone through a heavy hitting divorce. Um, but I guess, um, you know, so recently what we've seen is that 
number of suspicious things going on around the club. Um, so we've seen guys, these English guys like Paul Aldridge and then later on Gary Cook coming into the club. So these are two guys from English football that have been involved in previous takeovers like at Man City and I think some involvement with Cook as well at Newcastle, I believe, in, in the takeover that's happening currently there. So a couple of months ago, it was maybe, we talked about this in the pod, I think, Roman Molina is a journalist, and he said that the club was up for sale. And then about a month ago, it came from an Italian website, um, Tutto Mercato Web, I think, or something like that. So there's a journalist from there um, who broke the news that the um, Saudi billionaire Al-Walid, who's a guy that, who's been linked with us many years ago before McCourt bought the club. So the rumour was that he was in talks to buy the club and there was talk about this 250 million takeover or a 400 million takeover, which included the purchasing of the, the, the stadium as well from the city. Um, and these room, there were then the sort of the, the rumours were saying, well, actually there's problems because McCourt wants 30% um, a thirty percent stake in the club, and then rumours that he wants you know up to fees of like six hundred million for the club. So the kind of a bit messy, but and people aren't a lot of people are not convinced by this. But then we've seen other journalists like there's a guy from Le Figaro who's quite respected, I think, in Middle Eastern affairs. And his name's like Georges Malbruno, um, who picked it up as well. And then recently there's this guy that would be, I'm not familiar with him, but I'm learning about him, Thibaut Vizirian, um, who's been talking a lot about the sale and he's been running these sort of regular um, live chats on YouTube. Um, and similarly, like, well, sorry, a major factor in the spread of this was the fact that a lot of Saudi outlets had picked up in the news as well, although they were just circulating the information that was already out there from the Italian website. But, you know, since all that, the club have denied that there's any sale in the offing, they've said it's fake news. Um, there's rumours possessed, I guess, and we're also hearing all these different other rumours about all different possibilities. So, not just Al Walid in the Saudis, but we've heard they've been talking about. So, this um, Thibaut Vizirian chap, he's been talking about an Emirati consortium, I think a Kazakh, is it Kazakh or Uzbek billionaire? Um, it was Nasi Piriev they were talking about him a couple of weeks ago and that which I think maybe I misunderstood this but I think it was also backed by some sort of Chinese investors or, or some or, or if that was a separate project I'm not entirely sure um, when I was listening to the video I was my I was cutting out uh, in and out in bits so but yeah it just seemed to me like there's a lot of different possible rumors out there which sort of makes it seem less plausible I guess Um and recently as well, in the last couple of weeks, it seems like everything's quieting down and a lot of people are reluctant to sort of embrace the idea that this is a possibility because people are afraid of being led down a sort of, you know, false path of fake news and being trolled by Leon fans on Twitter pretending to be journalists and stuff like that, as I've seen has been happening. So, um, I mean, I guess all I would say about it is that there's probably nothing imminent, but I think that there's too much going on that's um, a bit unusual for me to to rule it out. So I think that it's possible that a sale is probably on the cards, but in the coming months. And I think actually just yesterday or the day before, I was reading there was a journalist from RMC who was saying that the club is up for sale. It's just that there's not um, there's nothing imminent at the moment. Well, well, actually, that's, that's a great recap because there's some information that I didn't know about the, the 
the potential alternative, um, the buyers that, that are in the woodwork. Um, and you guys, I mean, I, I wouldn't would want to spend too much time, so I'd like you just, if you say yes or no, because last podcast, you all kind of said within seconds that it was all fake news and it was going to be bullshit. Um, do you now think that there's a chance that we could be sold in next year or do you still think remain on the fact that it's bullshit? We've got your view, Steph. What, what, what do Hadi and Ben think? Um, my point of view is that we, we all know that McCord, you know, seems like an investor, an American investor that comes in. Um, he wanted to put money in the club and then sell it at a higher value after. Right now, as we, as we can see, Marseille is not worth a lot more than what it was worth when he bought it. So selling right now, he would lose money, and I don't think this will happen. Uh, as soon as Marseille will start having some results, then yes, if he gets a, a, a very good offer, he will sell. I'm pretty sure of that. But right now, it's, it's almost impossible because he's going to want to sell the club for whatever he paid for, plus whatever he invested in. So we are talking about something about around 400 million euros. So, and I doubt it very much that anybody is going to come in and pay 400 million euros for Marseille with the state of the club as it is right now. So that's, that's my opinion on the whole issue. So it, we might see it in the, in the future, but not right now. What about you, Ben? Um, I... Go ahead, Steph. Go ahead. Uh, just very briefly to interject there, like he, I think he paid as little as like 40 million, did he not, for the club? And so I don't think he paid that much for them anyway. So I know he spent a lot of money since, but I think he's going to be able to sell them for a big, much bigger fee now. I think I think you're right, Steph, but I think he part of that deal was that he would take on a lot of the passive debt of the club from exactly. Margarita, which means that his overall initial investment was effectively probably closer to 120, 100 of, between 120 and 150 million, if I had to guess. Uh, I guess I'll just carry on. Um, <laughs> um, it's a hard one. I think, from Hadi, I, I agree with you to 50% of what you said because um, you're right that's... and you make very... Well, I think you made very valid points. I think I think you're wrong when you say we're not attractive. I think from a visibility point of view, Marseille is at its most attractive that it's been for years because we've played the European final recently and we're now back in the Champions League and the TV mm. money and the new the new Liga TV deal. However, where you are right is from from the state of the club, from a financial point of view. There is just so much of a fucking burden and a mess to clean up um, because of, of the, the poor investments and people. Whoever buys the club has got to look at it and go fuck. You know, you, you always measure more more the risk than the return when you're an investor, and that's how you make your decision if you're an educated investor anyway. And and what people will look at, they'll look at Streetman and never three years of, on the books. Uh, uh, the wages he's at, you know, um, you, you look at all of that that passive debt and all of the wage bill, and you'll go fucking hell, Payet, Mandanda, getting old, Tovan, bankable, but how, how am I going to replace him without spending huge money? And it's, it goes for all the players I've just named. So the the, 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 the sad reality is that next summer we're going to need another massive fucking rebuild. Because I really doubt if we don't have a new investor that comes in that is a Saudi with extremely deep pockets who doesn't really care about burning money, 
we're going to need we're either going to renew those players and it's going to be a short term one because it's going to be probably a two year deal for Mondondo and for Payet because they're getting they're 33 years old and, and well Payet's 33 and Mondondo's 35. Tovan will either sign on for the same money or be be told to leave. And you've got to you've got to replace half the squad. So it's just unless you're a Saudi and there's a pipe dream out there like there seems to be for Newcastle that they just want to burn money and, and get involved in football. I really don't see it happening because of all those reasons. I just I just don't think we're a sound we're an attractive investment right now because we don't have many bankable assets and, and we don't own our stadium sadly. All right, well, thank you guys very uh, much for talking about this. Yeah, do you want to give a final thought? River? Just correct something. I said that guy was Kazakh. I think he was actually Azeri. He was from Azerbaijan. I don't know. Oh. My geography's all over the place. That's all right. <laughs> um, well, thank you guys for getting your thoughts on, on that. I think it definitely, definitely means that a lot of us evolved since two weeks ago when we all clearly, I mean, anyone that wasn't just deluded thought that it was going to be fake news. But now there's a lot of more news coming out about the, the takeover and it's, for me, it it gives me vibes that that Mark Hort is trying to jump ship and is trying to seed um, news that he would be open to sell. Um, so thank you very much for the, for those two topics, guys. Um, I'd like to finish the podcast on um, just uh, Hadi just telling us a little bit about um, some news about one of the one of our old players um, who's been quite prominent in the in the two thousand and tens because he he's played so much and he's been quite invested um in the club when it when during the bielsa years for example and that's uh rod fanny who uh went to uh Mo- impact Montreal, um and yeah do you want to let us know a little bit about what he's, he's gotten up to in the in the past few years of course of course uh so uh, yeah so he came uh, he signed with the with the the impact um in uh, 2018 uh in the month of march uh, the reason why is uh, because the, the main central defender uh, just had a season-long injury um, and uh, they had to replace him. But there's quite a few uh, things in, in MLS, in a major, uh, major league soccer, uh, where you can't sign a lot of internationals. Uh, you have only eight places in each squad for internationals. Uh, or the rest of the the the, the squad has to be uh, formed by by U.S. U.S. players or Canadian players for a Canadian club, so uh, they had to make some space and sign an international international player as a central defender. And I signed Rod Fanny because at the time the uh, coach of the club was Remy Gard, the ex Lyon manager. And when he signed, I was very happy, to be honest. And I really wanted to get an autograph. I wasn't able to, unfortunately. But he's still with the club right now. And he quickly became a crowd favorite because for his first game uh, as um, as a starter, he played against the biggest rivals of uh, the Impact, and that's Toronto. So uh, Toronto FC, uh, who was a very big club and a very good club in MLS, and the impact was able to to beat Toronto at home, and because of Radfani, Radfani played in a back three, and he played an awesome game, like really an awesome game. I was there at the stadium, and he was really awesome. And he's been very good, even if he's he's older. Uh, he's he's been very very good with the club. Uh, then last year, unfortunately, he didn't. Um, uh, he wasn't offered a, a, a contract. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, he didn't play with the club for uh, the first few months. 
Uh, and afterwards, uh, Rémi Gard was sacked, so they called him back because all the supporters were like were really screaming for his for his name. They wanted him back because he was so dominant when he was here. Uh, and he came back for the last maybe 10 games of the season, and he was offered a, a, an extension of his contract for this year. And now with the COVID-19, unfortunately, we weren't able to, to see him play uh, for more than two, three games. But uh, the, all the games the, in 2020, he's been a starter. Uh, at the back, in a back four, or in a back three, depending on uh, on, on the situation. And uh, right now, the the, the coach of uh, of the Montreal Impact is Thierry Henry. So for people, for all the French listeners, uh, there's a lot of uh, French players there. I just wanted to point uh, something out. It's not the first Marseille player to play for the Impact. Uh, there was Asun Kamara for people who knows him, who know him. Um, they played with the with the impact for a few years, uh, five years to be exact, six years to be exact. Uh, Asun Kamara was uh, was in the youth uh, program with uh, Marseille. Uh, he made the bench quite a few times in the between 2006 and 2008, but unfortunately never made an appearance for Marseille. But he was, he was pretty good, uh, a right fullback, and then he came to Montreal and was pretty good with Montreal. He's one of uh, of the very good players that played with the. Uh, with the with the the impact jersey. Oh well, well it, it's. I mean, so that's uh, that's what I have on Rod Fanny. I'm very happy to. I hope that we're gonna see some uh, a few a few a few more games this year to be able to get his autograph and uh, and uh, I'll send you pictures, guys, for sure. Do you uh, do you want to finish off with a shout out to your your mate in the uh, Impact Montreal press office? Oh, no, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> don't get this podcast censored as well. We don't want to be in case we, we have a European, like a world tour to Montreal. I doubt that he listens to my podcast, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never know. He's spying on you. That's why. Well, it's definitely, it's, it's nice to, to hear, I mean, I mean, what has become of, of of some of the older Marseille players. And maybe next time we get you on, we can discuss a little bit about what Alessandrini's gotten up to in uh, with the LA Galaxy. But um, yeah, I, I don't know about you guys, I enjoyed this podcast. It was nice to catch up with, with the news that happened. And it's nice to talk about kind of not just reviewing and debriefing Marseille of like performances. It's nice to talk about like news around the club as well. Um, yeah, we, we need some well, positivity. We've been, so it's good. we've been very lucky in some ways that even though there's no football and there's been plenty to talk about, I think, since the lockdown. Yeah, definitely. Well, or maybe not lucky. Lucky's maybe not the right word, but <laughs> well, yeah, um, not, not, not our topics of choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining me, guys. Um, I mean, it's been it's, it's been really nice to, to to hear kind of your views on, on the on the news for the past couple of days. Um, we've got another podcast that will probably come up in the next few weeks, and I will probably be focusing a little bit more on on AVB. Um, as you guys heard, today is the anniversary of his arrival at Marseille. Um, you guys know I'm not the biggest fan of him, but I mean, his impact for Marseille has been <laughs> undeniable. I mean, we, we, we've well, finished second already in, in his first year. So he's announced that he's going to stay for at least another year um, and maybe going to be uh, and maybe continuing his, his adventure afterwards. Especially nice to hear after such a, a rocky past few weeks about his, his future. So looking forward to, to talking to you about, about AVB next next time we, we get together. Um, but in the meantime, uh, thank you for listening uh, and we'll see you next episode. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks, thank everyone. Thanks, everyone. It was really nice. Thanks for everything. Good night. Bye, guys.